I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, back today as your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast, as uh, Mr. Sean Latimer served as the host last week and uh, did an excellent job. If you didn't get a chance to listen, go back and listen. Today, I'll be talking about an article I wrote called Care to Be Aware, and this is a throwback article to the first article that was ever written back in July of 2018 um, and talking about this idea of our spending habits. But before we get into the podcast, I should probably introduce our guests. I got Mr. Sean Latimer here today. Hello. And Mr. Kenny Molina. Hey. And back by popular demand, Mr. Drew Dill. Hello. So uh, the three of us are going to discuss this idea of the importance of being aware of your expenses. If you're a regular listener, you've heard us talk about this idea that we separate our uh, portfolio into two buckets, this idea of one bucket for reserves and one bucket for returns. Great way to design portfolios, conceptually makes sense, but all of it depends on knowing what your expenses are. Talked about in this article, I sat on a panel uh, on finance for, at our church, and we were asked a question, what's the most common mistake that you see people make? And I said, it's, it's a lack of awareness. Most people don't know how much they spend. If we oversimplify finance, personal finance, I would say it's income minus expenses, and what in the world do you do with the leftovers? Most people know their income intimately. They could tell you down to the penny how much they made last year. Most people don't have a good idea on what they spend. Agree, disagree, Mr. Sean Latimer? I completely agree. You know, I think we overlooked one thing. At the beginning of the article, you actually talked about something else. So this is your 140th Tom article? Something like that. I didn't, I didn't count through and do all the math, but on the website, it was like, 18 pages and there was like eight per page it's a lot of them right that's a lot first of all i'm kind of amazed that you could think of 140 different ways to talk about personal finance tips <laughs> well so that i i was actually gonna say the same thing this is my excuse for when all you guys make fun of me where you're like oh you've written about this before we talked about this before well you go ahead and try to find 150 I, I things to talk about it's true i wouldn't be able to do it so first off kudos to you congrats on 140 of them uh and i remember when you were talking about hey i'm gonna start writing this thing and it feels like it was just yesterday. Maybe it feels different for you because you've had to do it every week. But uh, congrats. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I was even looking at the date and I was like, oh, that's not that long ago. And then I was like, oh, actually, I mean, that's three years ago, a yeah. little bit more. And then doing it on a weekly basis and 52 weeks a year. So I, I guess it makes sense. So, um, But anyway, back to the article. It is a question that comes up. And I kind of like the way you answered it is, you know, the, the big mistakes don't happen too often, right? And sometimes in hindsight... Uh, you're able to say, oh, wow, that was a really big mistake. And at the time, it, it, it was kind of hidden. But I would agree that it's more the people that wouldn't know where to start when you ask them the basic questions, that that's probably where there's the lowest hanging fruit or the biggest area of opportunity. And uh, as far as mistakes that could happen, it, it can really vary from there. I think you're exactly right. And I, I mentioned the article that you know, doing this career for an amount of time, you have some wild stories of missteps and mistakes, but a lot of them are unique to the person and one-offs and that environment. So what I'm trying to find is when I get asked at church, what's the common mistake? You got to find a thread that kind of runs through everybody. I would say most people, when you go to them and say, hey, how much do you spend? Uh, They are going to underestimate by 25 to 30%. So if I was going to give advice, having clarity around that or awareness I think drives so much of the portfolio because your financial plan depends heavily on your expenses and your portfolio depends heavily on your financial plan. So I think it's just something that we don't talk about enough. 
Yeah, I think the uh, basic arithmetic of income, expenses, and then the leftover is hopefully what you're saving or you're investing. Uh, I actually take a, it's kind of like all roads lead to Rome. I take a somewhat similar approach, but instead I I bake that into the expense, I I suppose. I know what I want to save. I know what I want to invest. And it's, it's, you know, thankfully with technology, automating these things through perhaps direct deposit, it's, it's already there. So essentially what lands in, let's say, the checking account and it's been netted out. I just uh, I'm I feel more free to spend that because I've already taken out what I'm, what I'm saving, right? And that kind of helps me personally stick to this budget of saving and investing. Yeah, that's that age-old finance advice: uh, the richest man in Babylon, pay yourself first. Exactly. And it's this idea that uh, leftovers isn't the right word. It's that you would allocate to savings first. Here's where I see the problem: as people climb up the income spectrum, and those savings amounts stay the same, they tend to stumble across leftovers. And that's what we've talked about in a, f- a former article is, can you afford it? Yes. Uh, but should you afford it? Or the right way to ask the question, it, it might be no. And this whole idea of lifestyle creep, it's that it's not really that you start spending more at the grocery store or more at the gas station. It's these larger expenses that can really move the needle on your or your annual expenses uh, that you might not be aware of because they feel one off or they don't come around a lot like a new vehicle or vacation. Um, but when you slow down and you look at, hey, how much did I actually spend? That disconnect, uh, whatever you call it, the cognitive dissonance between reality and uh, what you thought was, uh, that's where I, I think we should try to shore the gap. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, It'd be interesting to hear your guys' thoughts on this, but you know, I, I agree. I'm probably the worst person at this as well. Lack of awareness, um, so I got to take my own advice um, as well here. I think you brought up the fact that you're five months behind Trevor, so I'm not alone. But I think one of the one of the things that it makes sense to why this is neglected or not talked about is because it's so basic. I think when people think of financial planning, they think of investing, they're, they're thinking of kind of the sexy things, the things that are really cool to talk about. But the thing that's really not that cool to talk about, because it's so basic, you would think, but so infrequently practiced is this. So I, I think this is a great conversation. It's funny if you ask my wife uh, on something that I commonly uh, complain about or feel that I'm behind or uh, stressed out because I haven't done this at work, it's submitting my reimbursements. <laughs> because you, I don't have to do it. Nobody holds me accountable for it, but it usually gets to the bottom of my priority list. And why that's relevant to this article is I don't, I can't submit my reimbursements until I reconcile my my monthly budget. And like I said in the article, I'm five months behind, which means sorry, David Bonson, I haven't done my reimbursements for five months. Uh, and it's just something that sits on my shoulder because I know if I get disconnected from that. Uh, there is a negative outcome on my personal financial plan. And I think even in this group, the four of us talking about this right now, I don't think I could express myself enough in a way that you would believe how impactful this is. But my my clients that have, and this isn't everybody, but that have built significant wealth from from common jobs, not that they were the, the CEO or the leader or whatever, is because they had a good grasp on their expenses and those leftovers or whatever you want to call them uh, were able to compound for a lot of years. Uh, There's a book written called The Millionaire Next Door, and it's the person that you wouldn't guess uh, that has that type of wealth. And it's because of this idea that they've controlled the expense size, uh, expense side of the income statement. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And another thing that you reminded me of when you were talking about these small changes to your expenses over time and uh, by not being aware it can make a big impact. I also think about how easy it is to purchase things these days where they, there's so many places to offer 0% financing, which if you're able to finance something and not pay any interest for it, does that make sense? Yes. But then I also hear the other voice in my head from maybe like Dave Ramsey that's saying, no, pay for it in cash. That way, you know, you can afford it. But it, there is definitely a balance in between because I'm very conscious about my budget and how much I should spend. And I think I even fall in that trap. And sometimes when I go, oh my gosh, the monthly amount is this, I can pay it off over time. I paid no interest expense, no brainer. The math on the napkin, that's the way to do it. But then when you have three or four months go by, that purchase feels like forever ago. And then another time that comes up and you think, oh, it's only this much per month. That's almost nothing. Perfect. And then you start to add it up and you go, oh my goodness, it is starting to add up. I can see how it's a slippery slope. And I'm very aware of these things. So if you're not aware at all, I, I, I could see how you find yourself underwater and uh, you go to reconcile your budget and you're like, oh my gosh, this is stressing me out. I don't want to do this anymore. So hey, it, it's uh, I think the environment that we're in today makes it easy to fall down that slippery slope. And this isn't limited to just your pocketbook. This permeates politics, right? All the discussion about unfunded liabilities at pensions, what happened? People lived a little bit longer. The 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 state of California or wherever you are committed to paying people X amount for their entire life. They assumed different rates of return. Uh, they didn't do good asset and liability matching. And what you're talking about, it's not too different from that, is that if you keep adopting these new things, these new liabilities of things that you have to pay for, and you haven't slowed down to do the math on what the real expense was there, uh, it, it when you realize it's a problem, it's a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. Now, Drew, you came from the retail banking side, which I, I worked with you there. And I think the interesting part of having that background is here, unfortunately, uh, or, or fortunately, however you want to uh, articulate it, we we talk to people that are that are of, of means. We talk to people that are wealthy on the retail banking side. You, you cover the gamut of, of people from uh, all different walks of life. What did you experience when seeing how people handled their personal finances on the retail banking side? Yeah, it's a great question. It, it's interesting. There could be over, there could be the same person with the same job and the same income and you look at their accounts and it's apples and oranges, right? Because you have one person who is spending above their means and then the other person who lives in the same geographic area who is saving $40,000 a year, same income. Um, and one of them is overdrawing their account and the other one is saving $40,000 and putting away capital for investments and things like that. And so I think when we think, I, I, you bring up a great point. When we talk about people you know, who you wouldn't expect that have good wealth, um, the income portion is so relevant to just expenditures, right? And and you see that, I thought, I saw that on a daily basis um, uh, from where I came from, and it was really clear. Yeah, and I know working there, uh, some interactions with clients will just tug your heartstrings, right? You're like, you got to go to the manager and be like, hey, overdraft John's here again. And uh, I just really want to clear some of these expenses so much that I went to the government level of like, yeah, you're abusing these people. But reality is these people were spending more than they could afford. So the whole idea was that a bank would put a penalty in place to say, hey, let me slap your hand because you shouldn't do this. But did that penalty work in your experience? No. I mean, well, it depends on the person. Some people, right, the people who look at it to where it's like, I'm going to get a $10 bean and cheese burrito 
um, but I'm going to overdraft my account, which is going to charge me $35. They make the decision. There are people who make the decision, the cost benefit analysis in their mind where they're like, heck yeah, let's do it. Um, and then there's other people who would probably, you know, get nauseous and sick. Think about the thought of a right, $45 of, beat and cheese burrito. <laughs> exactly. And again, this comes down to mindset and uh, mindset and awareness. I, I think it's a really key with your individual situation and kind of looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, I think from uh, the points you guys are making, the one thing that keeps uh, popping up in my head is a lot of it is just uh, cultural, maybe the environment around you. In that, um, you know, uh, as Sean mentioned, you have these credit cards, you can finance things, no interest, hey, pay them back in half a year, 12 months. So it seems very easy and then eventually gets carried away. Uh, so you're, you're fighting the uh, instant gratification of uh, financing things being readily available, right? I think all of us are within 10, 15 minutes away from uh, an Italian dinner or a pizza or buying a flat screen TV that we can pay over 16 months. And that, start get, uh, that starts getting ahead of us, especially in, uh, I think, in our society where uh, our economy, for example, is, is heavily dependent on consumer spending. So they try to make that easy. And I think going back to undergrad, the marginal propensity to consume there, essentially uh, how willing people are to spend uh, the percentage of every dollar earned was something pretty crazy. I think it was 96, 97. So the average person, when they, you know, they, they earn a dollar in earnings, they're, they're spending pretty much all of it, right? So, uh, you know, going back to this equation that Trevor brought up, which is income expenses and the, the leftovers, uh, it's very easy for those leftovers to be pretty much zero, uh, right? So you essentially have to find ways to either be very, very careful with the expenditure portion or try to bake it in, right? Otherwise, it's all too easy to find ways to uh, spend your money or spend more money uh, then you make and, and it still feels like you're in control. It happens all the time. I remember Trevor and I looking at examples of clients who say, hey, here's my previous year tax return. And we go through and we say, okay, how much did you spend? And then they give us a list of expenses. And it's pretty easy to say, okay, well, this is how much you made. This is how much you spent. This is how much that should be sitting in your checking account. And then they go back to the drawing board and they're like, oh, maybe that's not right. And you come to find out you spent a lot more than you thought. And maybe it was 97%, like Kenny said. Yeah. And I think that this this truth, like I like how you kind of keep bringing it up because I, I liked that simplification I put in the article is it says, hey, what is personal finance income minus expenses and what in the world are you going to do with the leftovers? Because you might think for, for someone like Kenny – who sits on our solutions and analytics team, who's analyzing what positions to put in the portfolio and alternatives and stuff like that. Uh, that simple truth doesn't apply. Well, guess what it does? It absolutely does. What do we look at? We look at companies that have more income than they have in expenses, which we call free cash flow. And we want them to use that free cash flow in the form of a dividend. And we want them to have a, uh, a rigorous uh, defined uh, plan on how they're going to do that and sustainable and grow that dividend. That is awareness, right? That is the expectation. Um, what we don't like, and Kenny knows this because he sits on the committee meetings, we don't like it when uh, a new CEO steps in and they're uh, an acquisition junkie, that they're going to go out, acquire all these different companies and do these different things, and they're going to take on more liabilities than their future cash flow can, can withhold, withstand. David Bonson talked about this on TV a lot lately. Um, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe 24 months ago. We sold, um, uh, a, 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 what would you call it, a mobile phone provider. I know we can't use the words anymore. And we replaced it. Why? Because they made an acquisition. They signed a check that they couldn't cash. Uh, and we had a concern that that would have an impact on dividends. Guess what? It didn't have an impact right away. 
But some 24 months later, they're the headline story about how they're going to cut their dividend after they've been paying that dividend and growing it for so long. So that is an exact example of how it can get you in trouble. So uh, that's why I'm passionate about this subject because I'm not asking any of our listeners to go out and say, I, I need you to reconcile and do an old school uh passbook or checkbook and, and write everything. I'm saying literally just how much did you spend last month? And I can tell you how you can easily find that. And we can transition the conversation there. Or maybe Drew, I can ask you that. Um, if a client's hearing all of this, they might say, I don't even know where to start. So what is an easy way a client can get a, a, a grip on what they're actually spending? Uh, if you, <clears throat> when you look at um, whatever bank's are available right now. Majority of banks in the United States, I'm pretty even sure small credit unions. If you go online, they have a spending budget plan um, that are really easy. I bank with a major bank. You go into the online banking and it's, you know, budget plan right there. And it'll actually tell you all the things that you've spent on your debit card. Um, and it'll break them up into sector, right? So how much did you spend on, or spend on food? How much did you spend on gas? It'll actually just divvy it out for you because the merchants, right, with a uh, credit card, and debit card um, electronically just categorize it for you. Um, and then it's there that you can get really sad when it does it and you see how much you spent on food and things that you didn't know and uh, becomes a little bit depressing and then you gotta make a, <laughs> gotta make a budget, so. Yeah, and actually, I'm glad you said that because I am not advocating for a budget. And you're probably surprised I said that. Um, I don't care if you spent 90% of your money on food. That's okay, you do you. What I am saying is how much did you spend last month and how much did you spend on average? So I'm glad that you said that because I want to get people away from saying, I got to download this application. I got to uh, do this new uh, you know, weekly thing with my, my spouse and write all these things down. I, I, I don't want to have a, a heavy task that you have to take on. What I'm telling you is, like Drew said, maybe you have multiple credit cards uh, and there's multiple people in your household that are spending and money's going in a bunch of different ways. But my guess is that you probably have one primary checking account. And at the end of the day, everything probably comes from there. Your income drops into there, your credit cards get paid from there or whatever. You can grab that statement at the end of the month and look at how much you spent. Yeah, it'll give you your, when you just look at your basic statement, right? It'll say deposits on the left column, withdrawals on the right. And then you'll see the average at the end of the month of what you have or don't have. Um, and it's as simple as that to create the awareness for just a bigger picture. Yeah, we talked about the article. You probably want to grab six months of statements because one month probably won't be good. You're either going to grab one month where you didn't buy a new jacuzzi. Um, looking at you, Sean Latimer. Just kidding. I know. Um, that's probably why I was able to speak on this because I'm like, oh, man, they do make it easy to buy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you need to get an average. And I am not a stickler. Grab six months. Maybe there's one-off expenses. Adjust it, whatever. All of this exercise is just to bring you in line with an understanding of, of how much you spend. Because if you think you spend uh, $8,000 a month and it's actually 10000 or 11000 uh, it's only a few thousand dollar difference, yeah, right? right? But that is a big difference, right? We're talking about 20 to 30% differences. Um, and the, the homework I put at the end of the article, it, just for a fun little exercise, and I did this in the, the first time I wrote this article, 140 articles ago, I said, go ahead, write down a piece of paper how much you think you spend on average. Then grab those six months worth of statements, look at them. This is like a five minute exercise. So I'm not asking for a lot of commitment. And then how do those numbers compare? Um, it it should make you laugh a little bit, right? Because I'm, I'm sure they won't reconcile. Yeah, and to your point, working working at a retail bank for so long, when 
you have people who overdraft, the first thing they say is, how could that have happened? I mean, that was you know eight out of 10 times if I was shooting from the hip, I would say eight out of 10 people would say and did say, how did that happen? How is it? There should be plenty of money there. And then you'll go through the ledger with them and then you'll hear this. Oh, oh yeah. Forgot about that. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot about that. And then you get back and you're like, well, now it's negative $50, you know, it's, oh yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. I didn't realize how fast that was. That was a very common thing. So, and it's the wild thing about financial literacy is that person you're talking about this truth or this lesson would be meaningful to them just as it would be to somebody with $10 million. Um, Because again, going back to that original thing, your financial plan hinges on your expenses, your portfolio hinges on your financial plan. So when we peel back that onion and we get to kind of those core important things, your expenses is on that top list. Yeah, it's also, uh, you know, from the article, it's a bit of a uh, iterative process, right? You're going to do the six months average, you're going to get that figure, uh, hopefully try to stick to it. And then, you know, revisit that whether half a year later, maybe a quarter, obviously, you kind of have to strike a balance, perhaps between um, doing it uh, in a time period where you'll be able to catch if you're kind of out of bounds or not. And then maybe not doing it too often, or you're probably going to burn out and stop tracking it and maybe get depressed, right? Uh, but that helps because it's going to help you create both an accurate and maybe realistic goals, right? Maybe you do your first six average. Maybe you have some kind of pay increase and you have a little bit of a lifestyle creep. You want to kind of adjust that. Uh, and perhaps maybe right at the beginning, you were uh, a bit too aggressive with your goals, right? It, it's okay to say, I may have to save uh, two, 5% less, right? That's better than sticking to something unrealistic and then seeing in the long run, you deviate much farther than that. Like Saving too much and then getting an overdraft? <laughs> Something like that. Exactly. Right. Where, where if, if, if maybe you're being a, a little too aggressive with your goals and that kind of, you know, it's kind of like maybe a diet, right? Where if, if you're way too stringent and then you just end up like overeating, same thing, right? If you end up having to draw from your savings account all the time anyway, maybe, you know, having that conversation with yourself saying, hey, this, this is what it realistically looks like. And maybe I should, you know, pull it back a bit. But I, if I spend, as you mentioned, uh, 10000 there's no way I can save 8000 But maybe I can get it down to uh, 9500 or or 9000 right? Uh, a little bit of a realistic and an uh, accurate estimate. I would love to hear from you guys on how I could even change my language because I, I liked my interaction with Drew right now. A lot of the time I bring up this topic with clients or friends or whoever I want to talk about and, they, and their immediate response, because I'm using the wrong words, is you're like, oh, you're telling me I need a budget. So I want to be really clear to the listeners' podcast. I am not telling you you need a budget. To me, a budget means something different. I'm telling you, in hindsight, you need to know how much you actually spent. I think a, a budget's probably forward-looking, and there's benefits to that. We can have that conversation. I, I mentioned the article a lot of the time. It's like New Year's resolutions. Uh, you start out hot, and you don't stick with it very long. Um, but whatever word I need to start using, and this will be an open forum uh, advice, I, I want people more in the backwards-looking rather than the forward-looking. Does that make sense? Yeah, and Why? So why is it the emphasis where it's backward looking? Flesh that out where, rather than the forward looking. And I know you're not saying forward looking is bad, but the topic is the backward looking. So why, s- why the distinction? I'm glad you asked that. And, and I'm okay with you guys telling me I'm wrong. I think people have rhythm to their spending. I think there's a cadence to it. I think the past is going to tell you a lot about the future. Uh, and I know we're in a world where uh, we, we have to say uh, past performance is not indicative of future results. But I, I'm telling you, um, and so Sean and I worked together in, in another life, and uh, we, were, we were managers, and we had to do a lot of interviews. And one thing that we learned from uh, that time in our life is this idea of behavioral interviews. 
And let me tell you how they work. You, you don't ask, hey, Drew, are you going to do a good job? Hey, Drew, are you going to work hard? Uh, you don't ask these open-ended questions. You say, there's certain character traits you're looking for in the job. So you say, hey, maybe you're looking for something that's accountable, right? Hey, Drew, give me an example of a time that you had to be accountable. And you make somebody walk you through stories, right? Because their past behavior gives you a, a, a look into their actual character. My argument is that somebody's past spending habits give you an idea of what their spending rhythms are like and what they're most likely going to be in the future. And I think changing that is really hard. So change is a different discussion. I think more awareness of what it is. So for you, and, and, and I think this is great. So would you say the awareness factor, if you have somebody who does this and looks through six months statements and sees the stuff that they're spending, awareness will then maybe be make them think twice about what they're spending today and in the future because they have an awareness of how they spent in the past. And, and I say that because that's been the biggest benefit for me doing those types of exercises. When I go through the budget, when I go through not the budget, but the spending, um, the outflows right in her home, I'll come back and I'll say, okay, next time I go to Starbucks, I'll think twice. Yeah, I've been doing that a lot. I realized how much this added up to. And so it, it create that awareness creates a double take. Does that make sense? I agree with you. I think that is an added benefit. I wouldn't promote that as the reason. And uh, I don't want to get you into a theology discussion because I know uh, that'll tangent us. <laughs> but I think there's there's discussion there with uh, faith and works and this idea of, of how where it flows from. So I think you're, you're right. If you get a, a general awareness of your spending, you will be more prudent in the way that you spend because you'll probably be more respectful to, to your money um, if you're ignorant to it than uh, – swiping the card uh, has no conviction or meaning on you. I think that makes sense. I think awareness is really important and it will change behaviors in the future as a, as a result, even without a budget. Kenny gave a really good example. If you have ever, ever been on a diet or I've had a friend try to lose weight, it's pretty amazing when they look at the calorie content and that double cheeseburger they get on Fridays or whatever it might be. And they look at you and they go, wow, can you believe this has 1400 calories? Just knowing that will make you think twice next time you order it. Just that awareness. Or, I love that you said that. I love that you said that. Because we're about to go get burgers? We are. But, <laughs> uh, not, not, only, not only that it will make you think twice, I love it if you still order that burger because you're okay with eating 1,400 calories. Yeah, That's totally you're... fine. It's that, that you can't go to yourself, like your example, and be like, wait, this couldn't have happened. Um, and then the person's like, oh, now I understand. I want someone to be aware. Um, I want someone to say, hey, I'm going to make this expense. And uh, like David Bonson always talks about, right, economics says trade-offs. I'm giving up something else for it. And I'm okay. I'm the leader of my finances, and I'm okay with making this decision. I hate when people are ignorant to it, and that causes them uh, future pain that they really are not aware of. I don't think it's fair. I don't think that they're being fair to themselves. I would say, um, going back to your point about what's, uh, you know, should you be kind of uh, looking back and – it's probably, for me, what works best has been a combination of the two. Obviously, in order to know what I can stick to, I have to know how much I spend. And then, um, you know, going back to some of the points in the article about technology, I try to use those as best as I can to can to uh, go back to one of Tom's other uh, topics, which is behavioral, right? Uh, how can we help the investor? How can we help the consumer uh, with behavior? And so I, I try to, uh, you know, incorporate things like, uh, annual added contribution to your 401k. And I'll set a small reminder on my cell phone and say, hey, uh, after your uh, you know, your conversation at the end of the year regarding earnings, 
uh, go and adjust your direct deposit contributions to your savings account and your investment accounts to kind of uh, already try to control the lifestyle creep that is inevitably going to happen, right? Because you can't just keep working for uh, less and less or the same, right? You're going to want to kind of treat yourself. And if you don't, uh, going back to that diet, you might just overeat. You might just kind of overspend, take a vacation you probably shouldn't have. Um, and th- that has kind of helped me. So it's a little bit of the, you know, uh, looking back, how much do I spend? And then how can I help control what I will spend uh, in the future and just taking it out of my hands, kind of already defaulting into it so that it doesn't feel, as you mentioned, you know, uh, as a like a penalty. It just feels like, oh, this is my new normal and I'm just blind, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind. So setting it up to where you have direct deposits on the front end going to where they need to be, whether it's 401k, whether it's your savings account or checking account, when it goes in the checking account, that's your money ready to go. Exactly. I can spend that down to the penny. Yeah. uh, Down to the Kenny. Exactly. Huh. Even better. <laughs> yeah. um, what you're talking about, uh, Professor Richard Thaler. Thal- Richard Thaler. And yeah. uh, Shlomo Bernardzi, they yeah. worked on that. Uh, yeah, the 401k contributions. Yeah, exactly. This whole idea of that you put little things in your life that nudge you to make good decisions. Um, and I, I think that's powerful. Uh, I think if I came to you, Drew, and I said, hey, I want you to make a financial plan, and I'm going to give you one of two things. I'm either going to give you what I've spent in the last year, or I'm going to give you what my budget is over the next 12 months. Uh, My guess is you want my expenses over the last 12 months rather than what my future budget is. Why? Because one probably is going to be broken, and one's already happened. Uh, And I think that's a good design philosophy. It's a great point. There was something else I was going to say about that Richard Thaler thing, um, and I just got lost in my words. Did he say YOMO or yo Shlomo Bernard? Shlomo. Yeah, they did some research together. Actually, uh, Richard Thaler just put out uh, what he calls the final version of this copy of uh, this book, Nudge, uh, that he wrote post-COVID and kind of got rid of some of the research or something that might not be as relevant uh, today as it was when they wrote the book. But yeah, we'll leave you with that, uh, this idea that um, your expenses, again, I'm going to be a broken record, is that your, your financial plan hinges on your expenses and your portfolio hinges on your financial plan. So uh, I know there's more sexy and exciting topics to discuss, but uh, if you get a good, strong awareness around your spending, uh, like Drew mentioned, uh, it will actually probably change your habits uh, on how you actually spend just by knowing. Uh, Knowledge is power, right? And then like Kenny said, you could probably input some things in your life uh, to create little nudges and create uh, better decisions, which just reminded me what I was going to say. There's another author, James Clear, wrote the book Atomic Habits. He talks about these little things that you can do in your life, which one impacted me. Uh, I wanted to be better at sleeping. And uh, what I did was I started leaving my cell phone uh, in the kitchen uh, on the charger and not next to my bed. Uh, and I started sleeping better. <laughs> I started going to, to bed a little earlier because I didn't surf the web. And uh, when I woke up, I allowed myself to kind of like – allow myself to breathe a little bit and, and actually get up before I, uh, I turn to the phone. So uh, again, atomic habits or nudges or whatever they are, just these little, uh, I hate using this word, life hacks <laughs> um, <laughs> that you can do uh, to make yourself uh, better with your money. So um, at this point, we'll ask you that you rate the podcast, five stars are preferred. Uh, leave a comment if you would like. Uh, you can email any of us at tom at thebonsagroup.com. On that email, you can address it to Sean, Kenny, Drew, or Trevor, or whoever you'd like. We'd love to talk about topics that you're interested in. We'd love to answer your questions, uh, or any feedback that you have is welcome as well. And at this point, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on, on Money. money.
The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.